Good morning, everyone. And I also welcome you. Uh, we have a topic this morning, how devotees rise, which is really, one might say, the core of our lives, of everything we do. And I'd like to begin with this beautiful reading from Book of Prayer Poems by Paramahansa Yogananda, Whispers from Eternity. This is Satisfy My Soul Hunger. O all-pervading spirit, the breeze of thy inspiration has removed every cloud from my heart. The firmament of my mind is now clear. Purify, purified, I behold only thee everywhere. The sunshine of thy joy spreads rapidly to the farthest shores of my being. After long ages of hunger, I feed on thy light. By thy grace and by my constant wakefulness in thee, may this joy be mine forever, forever, and forever. Well, last week Jaya gave a wonderful talk about how devotees fall. So today we get the rest of the story, how they rise. And it's a curious thing, but I would say that we rise by seeming paradoxes, by things that seem antithetical, that seems contrasting, but both together form a strong, true path to God. The first one of these paradoxes, one might say, is the need for our own willpower and determination and self-effort contrasted with surrender. And we know that to have a life commitment to the spiritual path is no easy thing by any means. To really say, for the rest of my life, as much as I can, I am going to follow my guru's teachings, I'm going to meditate regularly, I'm going to try to give up the ego. These are not easy things. And you can say them, oh yes, yes, but then to do them is another thing. There was a very nice young man who was doing an internship in the dairy. Uh, we met him last week. He was here, I believe, just for one week, uh, very new to this path. And he said, when I was introduced to him last Saturday at Rajasi Day, he said, I've made a commitment to meditate every day this week. And I looked at him and I said, me too. <laughs> and so we kind of joined together on that one. But then to do it, not only one week, but week after week, this takes commitment, it takes determination, and it takes really putting everything else aside. When you start finding yourself getting into behavioral patterns or habits or ways of relating to other people that are pulling you away, if we always have to be right about everything, it's, we have to use the willpower to push those away, to, to really use our effort. But then on the other hand, as Master said, at first with effort, and then 
effortlessly self-liberating. And so we get to the point where it's a balance between the two. You don't get to the point of surrendering to God without first making a real wholehearted lifetime commitment. And there's a a wonderful story that I found, I heard it years ago, but I it always stuck in my mind and I find it very helpful in this context. There was a book called uh, The Teachings of Don Juan by Carlos Castanadas. And Don Juan was a uh, South American shaman. And Carlos Castaneda was a seeker. And he came to him, he was his, his teacher, his guru, for training. And he gave him many, many different things to do. But the one thing that was quite exceptional, he said, every one of us has a power place. And when we sit there to meditate, that's where we go deep. And I want you to go out into the jungle, Carlos, and find your power place. And so he went out that day, and he would meditate this place, that place. None of them seemed right. Kept going and going from place to place. The day wore on, the night wore on. He was getting exhausted from walking all over the mountains and the forest. And finally, he said, I'll try one last place. And he sat down, and he just collapsed in exhaustion. And a little while later, his guru, Dan Juan, came up to him and tapped him. He said, oh, you found your power place. At that point where he just collapsed in exhaustion, that's where he was able to surrender and the guru was able to come. So don't don't expect that by your efforts alone you can do it. And that's the paradox. We have to give everything we've got. But the final opening of the doors, all the doors to open themselves, that's God's grace, which we draw by our self-effort. You know, Swamiji, when he was a monk with Master Yoganandaji, he, uh, once he was trying so hard and he was frustrated because he didn't feel like he was making any progress. And he came to Master and he said, Sir, aren't I trying hard enough? And Master said, you're trying too hard. It's creating tension. Just relax and feel God's presence. So that's the first of the paradoxes. We have to walk. It's like we have to balance on these balance beams and try to find our center in the middle. And then the next paradox that we'll talk about is the incremental, perhaps imperceptible, transformation that goes on within us that we keep trying and trying but we don't see any changes doesn't seem like we're getting anywhere and then the contrast with that is those moments of inspiration that come unlooked for and I remember I think I had been at Ananda about 10 years for those of you who are don't really know Jatisha and me. We're part of the founding generation, and we've we've been here more than 50 years. So this was in the first 10 years. And we were with Swamiji, and uh, he was talking about how different people have changed and grown at that time. 
And I said more to myself than out loud. I was sort of thinking, I said, um, I don't know that I've changed very much. And he just pushed back with a lot of vigor. He said, how can you say that? You're a totally different person. Well, I sure couldn't see it. And so that's, we just, again, we're, we have to keep moving forward. And the changes are not perceptible, but they're happening. And all of a sudden, you realize people that you couldn't get along with at all, you're getting along with them. And things that seem really difficult, it's not so challenging anymore. Even for me, working with computers, it's like, I can do this. And I know that's God's grace. But just to that imperceptible, but unhesitating movement forward. It's such a beautiful thing. And yes, we don't know the specifics. Maybe we don't have experiences in meditation. But Master said, this path is not a circus. It's not what you do along the way. One, one time, uh, Swami Jaya was giving a, uh, an introductory class to a meditation, four-week meditation series they were going to be giving. I believe it was in Delhi, but I'm not positive. And at the end, he said, are there any questions? And uh, one man raised his hand and said, you've been meditating a long time, so do you have any powers? And Jaya, who is, of course, sincere and honest all the time and humble, he just said, no, I can't say that I have any powers. And there was like this deep sigh. Everyone thought, oh, well, what's the good of this class if you don't get any powers? And, and then, then Jaya very humbly said, oh, well, you know, I think I have one power. I have the power to choose to be happy or not. I don't always use that power, but I have that power. And then everybody took a breath, and many people signed up for that course. <laughs> because what a power to choose to be happy. And even if you don't feel like you're getting deep with your practice of meditation, I don't think any of us can deny that we're happier than when we started out. And someone said to Jyotishan, me recently, someone who's not a devotee said, you two are the most easygoing people I know. <laughs> and I, I thought, you don't know what's behind that, my friend. <laughs> but then... On the other hand, there are those moments, and I think everybody who is seeking God has had at least a glimmer where maybe it's during a seclusion, maybe when you're really making an effort to meditate, or maybe when you're just walking along in nature, or maybe it's when you're driving in traffic, and all of a sudden, there's this flash, and you just feel, God's with me. And, it, it, and those moments, or you're meditating, and all of a sudden it becomes very clear. Oh my gosh, I wasn't doing this technique properly. This is how you're supposed to do it. And whatever it may be, but just when you, those moments come, highlight them, frame them. Swami said once again when he was a young monk, he uh, would go every day uh, and meditate. He, he'd get his lunch from the cafeteria where they ate, but he'd set it aside, and then he'd go meditate for a half hour. 
And then during one of these times, all of a sudden he had a deep experience. He was a young devotee at the time, a deep experience of in meditation of God's presence. And he said, oh, this is marvelous. I'll never, now I know how to do this and I'll never lose it. And he got up and he went and ate his lunch and it didn't come back for years. So when you have that experience, don't just take it for granted. Really, what was it? What did I feel? How do I get back there? What were the steps that led me to that? It's so important because we don't have control of those flashes of inspiration, but they come. Master said, every meditation, you should be ready to make a dash for the infinite. I love that. Now, okay, I meditate again. All right, well, it's time. All right, I make breakfast. Make, be ready to make a dash for the infinite. And one of my very favorite quotes of Master, I don't even, some great researcher maybe can find it. I don't even know the source, but I wrote it down years ago and I refer to it all the time. Master said, I remember the day when for the first time, unlooked for, from behind the clouds of the drudgery of routine meditating habits, the master says, the aurora of bliss burst upon my consciousness, an um, inexhaustible joy, inexpressibly blissful. He remembered the day when for the first time, I mean, how many lifetimes ago was that for him, being an enlightened master? But nevertheless, that moment when unlooked for, the aurora of bliss burst upon my consciousness. And this is what, so it's, it's the paradox of the two. Am I changing? Am I getting anywhere? Am I just treading water? And then those moments when there's that flash of inspiration, and we all should expect that. Don't think, well, that's for them. They've been doing it a long time. One of my deepest experiences of God was the very first summer I was here. And I was sitting in, Swami was giving a satsang in someone's house. I was just begun meditating, and I had one of the most profound experiences of my life. And someone once said, when we first come on the spiritual path, it's like we're checking, we're cashing in on our savings account from past lives. So very often, new people have very deep experiences, and then years go by and nothing. But it's just to remind you, this is what you can do. This is waiting for you. Don't give up. Do what's in front of you. And then we come to the third paradox. And this is, of course, the Mary and the Martha. Do we need to focus on our daily duties, on outward service and taking care of our job and our finances and our family and our health and all the things we have to think about? Or do we just remain inwardly in inward contemplation. And this is, of course, our dear friends, Mary and Martha. 
There, all of us are Mary and Martha. Those, you know, we kind of, Mary seems so, oh, she's the one that got it. But we all know, we all have the Marthas that say, oh, I got to get this done. Well, you're supposed to meditate. Yeah, but I got to get this done. And that constant pull between the two to really give our lives in service, but also with the awareness of God's presence. That's how Mary and Martha come together. And what Mary was doing when she was rubbing Christ's feet with the costly ointment, she was doing it in love, with love, with devotion for God. And if we can do that in everything we do, bring that love into everything we do, and that's the so we have these three paradoxes, the will and effort, and then the surrender. We have the incremental and perceptible growth, and then we have the deep flashes, life-changing flashes of inspiration, and then we have the, the service and the contemplation. But what is the factor that brings all of these paradoxes together? It's the unitive factor of love. Because in love, if we are making a strong effort, but then we realize out of faith and devotion, but Lord, I offer myself to you. Just as one master's most advanced disciple, Rajasi Janakananda, one master would say he achieved the highest states of consciousness after being with master for but a few years. But he was so humble and surrendered to Master. And he was a, a self-made millionaire in his own right, a successful Western businessman. He'd been a yogi many, a Malian yogi many lifetimes before. But Master said to him, don't forget where your powers come from, Rajasi. And like a little child, he said, I won't, Master. I know they all come from you. And so the unitive thing is the love for God. And then we come to the self-effort or the incremental growth other than the flashes of and what brings those together again is love because we need if we have the love that's what keeps us going well the very often if i'm having a not very focused meditation i just say master whether you come or not i am not going anywhere this lifetime is for you and you know that and it's from that devotion and love that the flashes, flashes of inspiration come. And as Lahiri Mahashaya said, banat, banat, banjai, doing, doing, one day done. We've got to cling to that. That's what it's all about. Doing, doing, one day done. But it's only if we are able to open our hearts only when, I shouldn't say if, I should say when, because for all of us who have been drawn to Master's teachings, we chose this. We chose this whether we knew it or not. I look back on my life and I don't know how I got on the spiritual path. I never thought about God growing up. I never thought I would have a a life dedicated to God. I, my family had their religion that they practiced, and I was a part of it. But it seemed 
their thing. It didn't seem my thing. And yet, there I was. At the, I, in fact, I asked a friend the other day, um, and it was a good answer, what was it that motivated you to come to God? She said, I just didn't see what else there was to do in life. It seemed like the only thing. And that was the same for me. I finished college, took my last final. A few weeks before, someone had given me autobiography of a yogi, and that was that. It was as though he was just reeling me in. Okay, this one will never get her on her own. We better, I'll hook her and I'll bring her in. And here I was. And yet I knew it was something that would engage me for the rest of my life. That's what I was looking for. Everything else I looked at, I thought, that would work for a while, but I'd get bored of that after a while. But I wanted something that would challenge me on every level for the rest of my life. And Master said, okay, <laughs> I've got something for you if that's what you want. But it all comes back to awakening the love of your heart. As Sri Teshwar said, the, gyan, the great enlightened being who was filled with wisdom in his book, The Holy Science, he said, without the love of the natural love of the heart, people cannot take one step forward on the spiritual path. And so this is what we need. This is what pleases God. This is what we need to develop. You can conquer worlds, doesn't matter in the least, but if we can understand that it's only by feeling God's love and giving him our love, that is the factor that weaves together all the paradoxes on the spiritual path. And Swami wrote a very beautiful oratorio about the life of Christ that he was inspired to write while he was in the Holy Land. And one of the very last songs was written um, when human hopes towards the aspire. Swami says, this was written on Mount Tabar, the Mount of Transfiguration. And if you, Jatish and I were there some years ago when we uh, co-led a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. It's a very powerful place spiritually. And Swamiji says that it was on Mount Tabar that he wrote this song, which I'll read you the lyrics and then our choir will sing it in a little bit. But I want everyone to know what the lyrics are. But he said it was on, if you know the story in the Bible, Christ took a few of his disciples, Peter and James and John, and they went up, it says in the Bible, on a high mountain. And there he showed them who he really was. I mean, they had seen his miracles. They had seen his wisdom, his joy, his courage, his strength. But up on the Mount of Transfiguration, as it's called, God's presence was there, and these three disciples, they saw Elijah and Moses and Christ communing, and then they heard the voice of God saying, in another famous line from the Bible, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And then Christ said, don't tell anyone about this to the three disciples until after I leave the body. And so, but 
it was in that place of transfiguration that Swami wrote this beautiful song where the lives of the disciples, those three particularly, saw and felt God's presence. And they saw and felt that he came to them to endure a difficult life, no doubt, but out of love. That was the only reason that these great ones come, simply out of love. And the beautiful words to this song, and then our choir will sing it in a moment, when human hopes towards thee aspire. When human hopes toward thee aspire, dark woods of grief are set afire. Beyond all reach of earthly skill, thy love alone our hearts can fill. Christ's light that shone on earth from heaven opened for us the inner door. To all who love, the gift is given, joy and freedom evermore. To all who love, the gift is given, joy and freedom evermore. So remember, God loves you. God wants you to come home. Don't be afraid. Feel that love and give it to God and give it to all the world. God bless you. Come gather round, let joy sing out today. Dawn now is breaking, and the mountains say, It's only light can make the darkness run. Lift up your head, greet the rising sun. Mm-hmm. Greet the rising sun. Some people think to harvest happiness by leaving troubles, easing every stress. The trouble is that troubles never end. Get rid of one and you face its friend. Mm-hmm. And you face its friend. and